Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Bruce Dunn, Canadian Bruce Wallace Dunn, responding to his choice for location after graduating Wheaton College, wrote, California, otherwise, no preference. As it happened, Dunn's career did not move him westward, but straight south to Peoria, Illinois. As road-weary vaudevillains used to say, if it'll play in Peoria, it'll play anywhere. There, Dunn's fruitful ministry played for decades, not because of chance, but as a result of, as he observed, many prayers, much planning, and sacrificial giving by hundreds of people. Today, Bruce Dunn presents a study on I Have Chosen You. The following material is copywritten by and provided courtesy of the Moody Bible Institute. John 15:16 says, "You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you." and ordains you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Paul speaks of us as being chosen in him before the foundation of the world. A profound truth which perhaps we cannot fully grasp in all its entirety, and yet a wonderful truth to lay hold of and to allow to warm your heart. It should be our goal and our objective that Christ should be delighted with his choice that he should be pleased and have no regrets about having chosen us. Some years ago when my son, who is now 25, was in the bracket of four or five years of age, I don't think he was any older than that, we decided that the time had come when he should have a dog. Somehow boys and dogs go together. And so we decided to look for a little puppy somewhere, and we watched the ads in the papers about them. And on several evenings, picked out a place to go to look over a litter of little pups. But we were very careful to warn him every time, now don't get your heart set too much in this. This is just an investigation. We're just going to go out and look at these. and. This may not be the one, and this may not be the litter, and this may not be the breed that we want to finally get, so don't get your hopes all built up. We tried to put the restraint on him, and out we would go. And we went to several places to see a lovely litter of cocker spaniel pups, lovely shades and colors and so on, and uh, they were just delightful, and uh, of course he was very interested, but he restrained himself. And then we took him to one or two other places, and same thing, warning him, now don't get your heart set on this. And then we went out to a farm about 10, 15 miles west of Peoria to see a little litter of boxer pups. 
And there was one pup there that had the beautiful markings, the white down his nose, and we had decided without telling him that uh, that's what we were after. And so we decided to take that pup. And I forget, I think we, I think it cost us $40, if I remember right. I don't know what it was, some, I suppose it'd be 240 today. But uh, we got the pup and took him out to the station wagon and drove back home. Of course, he was delighted. And uh, later he told us, boy, he says, I couldn't believe it. Little, little wee boy, he says, I couldn't believe it. He says, I could hardly keep from shouting whoopee, he said all the time. Well, I would hope that our goal and our objective and our aim would uh, make the Lord feel like shouting whoopee. That he chose you. That you are fulfilling all the purposes and plans for which he chose you. That you have no regrets about you being one of his own and belonging to him. Chosen. Now I really believe that if we Christians would get hold of the truth of that thought and that word, it could revolutionize our Christian living that would really do something for every one of us. Our problem, you see, is that it's very easy to believe that certain great names of the past have been chosen. Whether they are names in the biblical record or in more recent times, we have very little difficulty in saying, yes, God surely did choose them, no question about it. We think about a baby Moses in the bulrushes, marvelously protected and cared for by God, brought up in a pagan court and prepared for a fantastic ministry and a lifetime of accomplishment for God and for God's people. And we have no difficulty in saying Moses, of all people, was a chosen vessel of God. No question about it. Or we think of a young lad in the precincts of the temple during the hours of the night hearing his name called several times and then being told by Eli that the next time he hears his name he's to reply, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And he did. And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel and for 50 years he was a spiritual giant of a leader before Israel had its first king, a giant of a man. And we have no problems about that. God chose him. God called Moses out of the burning bush. Dramatic, rather sensational, I suppose we say, and quite miraculous. And we have no problem about saying these men were chosen of God. No question about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you name a host of others. Or Amos, the farmer's son, as God laid his hand upon. Or Isaiah, in the year that King Isaiah died, in a tremendously dramatic and vivid experience, God put his hand upon him and called him to be a minister of the truth. Or the twelve disciples. Or Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus who, looking back on that experience, at one point said, The Lord laid his hand on me. 
And I seek to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. He had a real sense of the fact that God put his hand on him. Chose him. You see. Easy to believe these are all chosen. And yet I submit to you tonight this truth. I'm sure it is a truth of God's word that you, the person sitting where you are, is no less than any one of these chosen by God in Jesus Christ to be his and to serve him all your days. And I think we need to get a hold of that. Our story is not as dramatic. It is not perhaps on the surface at least as miraculous. On the surface perhaps. Not as sensational, but just as real and just as true as any of these ones we've cited to you here tonight. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, is the word that comes to us from the Savior. Now as you look at the context of that text in John chapter 15 you will discover certain purposes and goals that God has in mind for which he has chosen you. And perhaps the first and most obvious one is this, that he has chosen us for a partnership with himself. And all through the chapter we are told of our position in Christ and he in us, and we are very much given the, uh, the position and the understanding that we are united to him in an ongoing companionship and partnership and fellowship, and for that reason we have been chosen to enjoy it. And when we think as to the reasons why Christ died for us, as we think of what the purposes of redemption are, one of them certainly has to be that God designed by giving Christ to die for us to restore us to a position of a very personal and real relationship to God, a partnership with him, a companionship with him, a very much ongoing day-by-day -day personal relationship with God the Father. He didn't just die in order that we might have eternal life. He didn't just die in order that we might have forgiveness. That certainly is a large part of it. But he died to give us the forgiveness so that we could know him as a living daily reality in our lives. And it's always blessed my soul to think of the statement of Scripture that is given as to one of the reasons why Jesus chose the twelve. And one of the Gospels simply says he chose twelve that they might be with him. Now I grant you there are other reasons in order to teach them and instruct them and prepare them for a great ministry ahead. But it's a very simple and, and, and blessed reason to think that he wanted their companionship. He wanted their fellowship. He wanted them to walk with him on the dusty roads of the Holy Land and be with him in all of his ministry. 
And so has he chosen you and chosen me. We can sometimes get involved in great theological statements of the purposes of redemption and forget the more simple basic one that God wants to enjoy your companionship. And the purpose or one of the great purposes of redemption was that God might restore again the communication lines that were destroyed and wiped out by the fall and the entrance of sin into the world. He wanted to bring things into a situation where once again, walking day by day through this world, in this life, it would be with him. You are chosen for a partnership in the deepest sense of that term. I wonder if that purpose is being fulfilled in your life. Are you enjoying And knowing the Lord's presence day by day, are you very much aware that in your business, in your career, in your vocation, not just in your church life, not just when you're teaching a Sunday school class, but but that Christ lives in your heart and soul and God is with you. And that there's a very real ongoing relationship on a day-to-day basis. One of my members handed me a paperback book to read a few months ago, which I read and was glad that I did. And one of the emphases of the book was this very thought that too many of us Christians speak of Christ and of God as if he was somebody out there somewhere, whatever that means. Somebody removed from the scene. Somebody we run to in the hour of trouble. Somebody who's over there. Instead of developing and cultivating a sense of this very real truth of God's word, that we have been chosen to be in Christ and Christ to be in us and there to be an ongoing companionship and walk with him day by day as the years come and go. And as you read through John 15, he speaks about the joy that he designed to remain in us and to be in us. This is meant to be an enjoyable experience. We're chosen for this partnership for our enjoyment. The old catechism says, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I'm afraid that too large a percentage of our time we give the impression of almost anything but enjoying God. And yet that's one of the purposes of it all. I've chosen you for partnership, for companionship, for a close walk. You remember, you almost sensed the disappointment that our Lord expressed when he took his inner circle with him into Gethsemane and found him asleep a couple of times, said, couldn't you watch with me, with me, just one hour? He almost seems to be expressing the feeling, the thought, that I'd like to enjoy the companionship of my disciples as I carry this load of sorrow, which of course he had to bear alone, but a sense of fellowship in it all, in the trials and the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. Chosen for a partnership. Then secondly, John 15 suggests that we have been chosen for purification. 
for purifying action. He speaks of the fact that as fruit comes, he purges us that we may bring forth more fruit. A purging process that takes place from which none of us are ever exempt if we are a child of God. You see, the ultimate objective of God is to make us once again after his image and after his likeness. And when it says in Philippians 1.6, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. The good work that he has in mind there is not under just the general term of salvation and redemption. It is rather the work of once again fashioning us after his own image and after his own likeness. Doing all over again what he did at creation at first which was marred and destroyed and defaced by the entrance of sin. So I'm going to do it again. I'm going to start with a new birth. I'm going to give you a new life. That's how the new work begins, but that's just the beginning. And from that moment on, I will be at work in your life, even when you are not conscious of it. Even when I seem to be far removed from the scene. Even though life takes on unpleasant features and distasteful ones. And God seems, just seems, to have forgotten you. I'm at work in your life. This is what the Word teaches It is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's no such thing as a true believer in the Savior who is not being worked on. In many ways, God works on us. Of course, through our devotional experiences as we go into his word and as we pray. But also as he administrates our affairs on a day-to-day basis and allows into our lives trials and tests, temptations, sorrows and heartaches. All of it administrated by God who is our shepherd who goes before us who is already out in Tuesday preparing it for us. So when it arrives at our gates, it will be the Tuesday that's a part of his administration. He's a way ahead of you. When he puts forth his sheep, he goes before them. And so God is always at work seeking to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes a lot of doing. And I'm sure you feel as we ought to feel, that the farther along the road we get, uh, the more unlike the Savior we feel that we are. God has so much to do on us. There's no finished product except the Lord Jesus Christ But we are chosen for this. Chosen. Not only for a partnership. But for purifying. He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. And that's not a nice process sometimes. 
Maybe some of you here tonight are going through some deep waters of affliction and trouble and sorrow. God has not forgotten you. God still watches over his own. God still controls everything. God measures it out and it will be never measured out to you above what you are able to bear. He has guaranteed us that. But you've been chosen for purifying action in your life. And it never stops. More intense, we think, at some times than others, but always present. God dealing with us in a very real way. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't lift the burden quicker than he does. Why doesn't he remove the sorrow? Why doesn't he heal the heartache quicker than he does? That's not an easy question ever to answer. I would make one suggestion, however, to you tonight, that we must remember that God does not answer our prayers simply in terms of our own isolated situation. Usually, there are other people involved in the answers to our prayers. And sometimes God does not answer your prayer immediately because he has a little bit of adjusting and uh, moving of positions in other people's lives so they are ready for your prayer to be answered. There's a great study in God's timing of things. God's timing to give the promised land to Israel, for example, had to be timed with the hour of judgment when he was to take it away from somebody else. And when the iniquity of the Amorites is full, when the time is ripe for their judgment, their judgment turns out to be Israel's blessing. You see? And sometimes the timing is not yet arranged so that God answering your prayers will bring maximum benefit to others and to the kingdom of God and to the furtherance of the gospel. When they sent to Jesus and said, Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick. It says, now Jesus loved Mary and Martha. Therefore, he hurried where they were and he did not. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha. Therefore, he stayed where he was for two more days. And deliberately allowed Lazarus to get worse and to die. So that on the long-range pull, the victory was greater, the triumph was more wonderful, the gospel was more furthered, and more people were affected by the ministry of Christ than would have been affected had he quickly and immediately heard their petition without consideration of the effects that it could have on others. That's something we have to remember. And God's ministry in our lives of trial and affliction and trouble, while it has the, the purpose of a purifying action in our lives, it sometimes also has in mind the effects it will have on others who look upon us, who see how we accept that purifying action, whether we come unglued and go to pieces or not. Or whether we see that we really trust the Lord Jesus Christ in life's dark hours. 
May I remind you that the success of the early church was not only because of a correct theology and not only because of Holy Spirit preaching of the word by the disciples. There was another very large and important factor and that was the world saw how those disciples reacted to life and its troubles. They listened to what they said. But then they saw how they could sing in jail with bleeding backs. They could walk away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They listened to what they said and they saw how they reacted to life. And they said, that's for me. That's what I need. And the gospel grew by leaps and bounds because of the effects of sound doctrine thoroughly believed and producing a very real trust in Christ in life's dark hours. You're chosen. Chosen for a partnership. Chosen for purifying action. Thirdly, you are chosen to be part of a plan. How wonderful that every individual believer in this tabernacle here tonight has been laid hold of by Jesus Christ to fit into a plan somewhere. My, if we get hold of that. And of course we have those group of people who say, oh, not me, poor little me. I have no abilities. I have no talents. I have no natural gifts, they say. I don't believe that, but this is what they say. I haven't been blessed with a good education, perhaps some will add. And they begin to list all their lack of qualifications as if somehow they were exempt from the text. I have chosen you. God knew all about that before he made the choice. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the end and the beginning. And he still chose you. You see. And some of us have that phony inferiority complex that was referred to in the first Corinthians where some said, because I am uh, not the hand, therefore I'm not of the body, I don't count. Because I am not the eye, uh, therefore I'm not of the body. And the Lord strikes at that false and wrong attitude and said every part is essential and there must be a harmonious whole and God made the body as he designed it, as it pleased him, and placed each member in its particular spot and position to perform a particular function, some perhaps on the surface more important than others, but some of the hidden parts more important than the visible ones. Some you can't see. You'll die if you don't have them. And so he strikes at that. Don't grumble, don't complain. That you have lacked the personality or lacked the gifts or lacked the training and so on. We should, of course, seek to acquire more. I grant you that. We cannot blame God and say, therefore, I don't count. I've never been chosen. Jesus said, I've chosen you. And then he also in that chapter spoke about those who take the other end and get lifted up in arrogance and pride and the eye says to the foot, I have no need of thee. 
And the more gifted look down upon the lesser in arrogance and pride, and God condemns that as well. And he said, we have to recognize that the master designer placed us in the body of Christ as it pleases him. And he has given gifts to us. I don't believe the Holy Spirit ever comes into a person's life without bringing some gift. I don't believe you have any right to choose which one it is. I certainly don't think you should take the ones at the bottom of the list and put them up at the top, as some people are doing these days. God is the one who dispenses the gifts. It might be just a gift of helps. It might not be the more dramatic, flowery, sensational kind that gets you headlines, but it is a vital function you can perform in the house of God. I like to emphasize to people in churches when I go to them sometimes that sometimes the first step to heaven or the first step to hell for some people is in the hands of the greeter at the door or the usher. It's a little thing like that. Some people can have a gift of really... Having people come and say, I want to come back to that place. And they keep coming enough till they begin to understand and hear the gospel and are saved. And just the wrong attitude will send them the other way. And they'll go down to some great liberal church where they drool all over them. And think they're wonderful and never tell them about Christ. See? Don't despise your position. Don't sell the Lord short here. God's chosen you to be part of a plan. Pray about it. Ask him to reveal it to you step by step. But be faithful to him where you are. Be what you can be for his glory. If it's just with a warm handshake and a cordial smile and a spirit of helpfulness. That could be the first step to heaven for somebody. But let me say a word here to the younger elements of the audience. It's a tragic fact these days that the largest number of suicides are down in the, among the young people. One of the major causes of death in young people today is suicide. Total despair about the world, about life, about the future. And in some ways I can understand it a bit. It is a, it is a chaotic world. And our hearts long for a time when our, our, our sons and our daughters could perhaps plan a little more hopefully than it seems they can plan today and the uncertainties of life and so on. But I hold out this to you tonight and remind you that God is sovereign and is aware of all of that. And yet he chose to put you in this world at this particular time. Aware of the kind of a world it would be. A world in which there is decreasing hope in many ways. On the natural human level anyway. But like Queen Esther was told, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God's plan is still in operation. 
And God still has a plan for the life of each individual believer, whether he be seven or seventy. And that plan has not been laid aside. It is not anything but in operation. God has put you in the world at a time when prophecy is rapidly being fulfilled and the world is being prepared for the Lord's return. You are here at this time by divine choice. I have chosen you, God says, to be a part of my plan. Let's never forget it. Then fourthly, Not only chosen for a partnership and for purifying action and for a plan, but for persecution. In this same chapter, you remember the Lord goes on and says in verse 19, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. This is a part of the choice. Now, it may not yet be the fierce kind that the missionaries in Zaire just had. It may come to that yet before the Lord returns. And while I firmly believe that the Lord is going to call the church unto himself before the day, the great day of God's wrath, I am also quick to add, it could very well be that we will be called upon yet to experience more of man's wrath before we are delivered from God's wrath. And Christians are suffering all over the world. We have been especially privileged. I'm not saying there is no persecution here. It takes more subtle forms in the company where you work and so on. You are deprived, perhaps, of promotions that rightfully should be yours. You are set aside. There's all little fiendish little ways, annoyances and irritations that added together can be quite a trial sometimes. But God says we are called... Chosen for persecution. And I really begin to believe that that day of Jesus tarries could be coming up pretty fast. All the tremendous publicity, and not all of it good, a lot of it makes me a little nervous, all the publicity about evangelicals and about the born-again experience and so on, I'm afraid one of these days might backfire on us. Especially when some of it is phony and fake. And will bring the whole genuine experience into disrepute in a lot of minds if it hasn't already done so. And I have sometimes occasionally seen programs where something was said derogatory about Christians and the whole audience broke into applause and clapped. Don't fool yourself, dear friends. Seething just below the surface is great potential for Christian suffering before Jesus comes again. And he says, I've chosen you. Don't be surprised. The world hated me. It's going to hate you. 
And we should be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Lest that day should come ere Jesus returns for us. We are a little flock. I've said this so many times to my own people. Fear not little flock, Jesus said. We always have been a little flock. We are a little flock. We always will be a little flock. God's plan seems to be to have that believing remnant that are faithful to him that he keeps. Just make sure you're a part of it. The last one, and I shall just barely mention it, is we're not only called for chosen for persecution, we're chosen for perennial fruit-bearing. Branches that bear fruit. And as they do, he purges them that they bring forth more fruit. And then he says later, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. There are different kinds of fruit in the Bible. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. I'm going to make a statement that may, to some of you, sound wrong, but I don't think it is. There is no such thing as a genuine, true Christian who will not have some fruit. Because a true, genuine Christian involves the Holy Spirit coming into the body to indwell, to live, and the fruit of the Spirit begins. He deals with us. There is the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of souls, the fruit of the Spirit. In some proportions, be they ever so minute and small, that fruitfulness will begin. And we are to move from stage to stage. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. That's why he chose us. And then he says, that's whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He ties that in there. That's beautiful. That goes back to the first point we made, to a relationship. It's a father-child relationship. Beautiful, intimate, family, personal relationship. God is your personal heavenly Father. That one truth alone gotten hold of, by all of us, which would, would again would change our lives. You're chosen tonight. I don't care who you are, where you came from, how few talents you think you have, how few abilities you think you have, how poor a personality you may think you have, how little opportunity you may think you have. God can change a lot of that. And you be faithful to Him where you are and live a Christian life and show forth His love and His joy to others. You'll be surprised what perhaps new doors God will open up to you that you never dreamed were there as you trust him. May we bow in prayer. Father, bless to our hearts this consideration of thy word tonight. Help us to rise to appreciate and understand our precious position in thy sight. That you have indeed laid your hand upon each one of us for some high and holy purposes. Oh God, help us. Seek thy face always so as to fit into thy plan and to fulfill thy purposes for each of us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.
You've been listening to Bruce Dunn. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.